Good morning. Will you please turn with me to Romans 13, 1 through 8. Let every person be subject to the governing of authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. You will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are the ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all who what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again, Westside. We are glad that you are here with us today. I've got two things that I want to dive into um, before we sort of jump into the sermon. Um, you heard Alan talk about that today we are taking up our May We Honor offering. And there's a box out there in the lobby. And what this is, is us putting into practice what we have learned in this series. Um, that we learned that God says one of the primary ways that we can honor him is through our wealth. And the reason why is because when God is most valuable and we give him the most valuable thing to us, that proves that he's more valuable than that. And so what this is, is an act of obedience and that is out there for you. And so I'm very excited to see what God does in us and through us in this season. Secondly, um, we have learned a little bit of language in this May We Honor series. And one of my desires as the pastor here is that when we do these sermon series, that they're not just one and done, but rather they create a culture and a language for us here at the church. And we have defined honor as this. Honor is the act of holding all people and positions in high value. We said that's the missing ingredient in relationships. That's the missing ingredient in societies. No couple has ever sat down with a counselor and said, my problem with my husband is that he values me way too much, okay, right? My spouse just honors me so much that it's causing conflict. Like that's just never happened before, right? It is the missing ingredient in relationships. But what's interesting is, is that Jesus oftentimes in his teaching turns what we think is valuable upside down on its head. And, and at one point he says to his disciples, hey, do you know who is honored in the kingdom of God? It's servants. It's people who serve. It's the people that you might not see. It's the people that you pay no attention to. Those are the people that God has his eye on in the kingdom of God. And so what we want to do is we want to create a culture here at Westside of honoring those who serve. And the way that we're doing that is we are going to start something that we call the Westside All-Star of the Month. We've got a number of ministries that serve, that are going on. While you're in this room right now, there is a plethora of people that are serving that you don't see, that you have no idea about. So each month, um, one of those leaders of the ministry is just going to say, hey, this person has been serving. They've been doing an incredible job. I would love to see them them honored. And so for the month of May, our very first West Side All-Star, you just saw him, is none other than Mr. Alan Baum, ladies and gentlemen. So Alan, come up here, ma'am. Come up here. And you know what, Vicki, you need to come up here too. You need to come up here too because Alan is who he is because you are who you are. Amen? Amen? That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
But hey, Alan serves as a board member um, in a number of areas in the church. Wherever anything is needed, Alan is just ready to go, as Vicky is as well. But particularly this month, we launched the Boiler Room Prayer Service. And that 100% came out of Vicki and Alan's burden for prayer here at the church to pray for our nation, to pray for our church, and everything like that. So, Alan, we present you with the Westside All-Star Award. And Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him, May 29th, 2022. Alan, we love you and we're very thankful for your service. Vicki, the same for you as well, guys. Can you show them some love this morning? Absolutely. Love you guys. Love you, Vicki. Love you guys so much. Love y'all. All right. Awesome. I'm super excited about this because we want to create this culture and the way that culture is created is through language. And so if you're a leader in a ministry, be sure to get us those names to people who serve. Um, today, you had a particular scripture that was read to you, and we are ending our honor series for May We Honor. And, and let me just introduce this by this story. I've told you before that growing up, my dad was an evangelist for a large part of my life, which basically in the summers meant that my summers were spent in the back of an Astro van driving all across this country. I'm talking from northern Pennsylvania all the way to Los Angeles, to and fro, back and forth. My dad would normally drive in and we would arrive on a Saturday evening and my dad would begin a revival in a church on that Sunday morning and it would go all the way to the next Sunday. And so every single night I was in church, I like to say I grew up a drug baby. I was drugged to church, okay? Constantly, all the time. I'll never forget an incident that had a profound impact on me. One time, my dad was doing a series of revivals through the Arizona area and from like Tucson and all of these places. And, and in some of those places, there's like not even a speed limit, right? It's just literally the desert. It is rocks and sand and a road. That's all it is. But when a town comes up, obviously the speed limit sort of changes and stuff like that. I'll never forget being in the Astro van, and my dad is just juicing through the desert, right? I mean, we're just, we're driving. It's an incredible experience. Um, and I'll never forget my mom just kind of being like, um, hey, Ben, um, hey, Ben, you, you need to watch your speed, right? Um, ben, ben you, you need to watch your speed. And then, sure enough, I remember looking in the rearview mirror and, or turning around looking at the rear of the van and seeing the lights and my dad was getting pulled over, right? This was an incredible moment. So I went to wake my brother up, Joe, who traveled around, and he was in the back, back seat, and I'll never forget waking my brother up, and I go, Joe, Joe, dad just caught a policeman. I said, Joe, dad just caught a policeman, and I'll never forget my dad under his breath going, dad didn't catch nothing, something just caught dad, is what he said, <laughs> what he said. So the officer came up, you know, license and registration, my dad was very respectful, the officer was great, and my mom went stone cold in the driver's seat, man, so I knew what was coming with that, and he said, yes, sir, and, and I'll never forget, have you ever noticed this exchange? When an officer hands you a speeding ticket, what do we say? We say thank you. It's like, it's like through gritted teeth, like thank you, officer. Like what in the world, right? And I'll never forget um, the officer pulled out and drove away. And my dad said, hey, boys, come here. And my dad always kept his Bible um, in the dash of the van there. And my dad pulled out his Bible and he opened it to the passage that you just heard, Romans chapter 13. And my dad read that passage. And my dad said, I want you boys to know something. That that officer, according to the Bible, is an ordained authority by God. That these words, a minister, a protector... He does not bear the sword in vain. That that officer is protecting us and other people. Your dad broke the law, the speed limit, and he was right. 
to write me this ticket. And then he said, did you notice that that officer was wearing a wedding band? That officer more than likely has a family as well. And so what I want us to do is I want us to pray for that officer. And I'll never forget, right there on the side of the road in the desert in Arizona, my dad had just got a speeding ticket, and now we are praying for that officer. It was a very formidable experience for me. And what we see in Romans chapter 13 is the Apostle Paul making an appeal to the Christians in Rome. Now, what's important is, is to know the context of the book of Romans, because Romans 13 is a very controversial passage. There are people that read it two different ways that line up in two completely different camps. But the key to understand it is to know what Paul is writing before and after he is writing this chapter. In Romans chapter 12, he starts his thesis idea with these words to the Christians that are living in Rome. Do not be conformed to this world. He's telling the Christians, do not fall into the category that the world tries to force you in, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Translation, the Apostle Paul has spent all of these chapters saying, this is the gospel, this is the good news, that Jesus Christ is God, that Jesus Christ lived the life that you could not live. He died the death that you deserved in your place. And three days later, he rose again. He rules the universe. You don't have to be a slave to sin anymore, those habits or any of that, that your life can be changed. And the way that you do that is you live differently than the world. And then after these verses, he just sort of goes on this rant of a Christian life and, and how Christians live entirely different than the world. And then he gets to these verses and he says these words, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the avengers. Oh, no, no I'm sorry. But leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, then give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Verse 21, do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If there is a motto of the Christian life and how to live differently, it is what Jesus said, it's what the apostles said, it's what the apostle Paul is saying here, overcome evil by doing good. And so just like a masterful writer and teacher, the apostle Paul is anticipating their argument. Because he just said, don't avenge yourself. And by the way, Christians at this point when he's writing this letter are being burned alive in the garden of the emperor to light his garden at night so he could walk through it. That's how Christians are being treated. They're being tossed to lions at, like the, when the gladiators fought in the Colosseum, the Christians are being persecuted. They're being marginalized. And then the Apostle Paul has the audacity to say, do not meet that violence with violence, but overcome evil with good. And so the question is, okay, so what do we, we like, we don't protect ourselves. We don't like, how are we supposed, this is a hostile government. Like, what are we supposed to do? Ergo, Romans 13. Then he steps in and teaches them the role of government, the role of Christian citizens, who ultimately are, hey, this is a great spot for an amen. Are you awake? Here it is. Great spot for an amen. That ultimately for us as Christians, our citizenship lies in heaven and not the country we live in. Our ultimate citizenship 
is in heaven. Our ultimate allegiance is not to a donkey and is not to an elephant, but it is to a lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. That our allegiance is to Jesus Christ and his bloody cross. And then he walks through those things. But it's important to note that as he is teaching this, that we need to know that when it comes to the issue of authority, the word authority literally means the author, the author of, the one who has the right to enforce because they are in that position. To understand how God has worked out his authority to be worked out in the world is that when we read the pages of Scripture, we only see three institutions that God has ordained that his authority should work through. The first institution is the home. In Genesis chapter 2, we see that the home, we did a whole series on this, new year, new family. We learned about the structure of the home is just as divine as the structure of the cosmos. And that honor begins in the home. That we learn to value people and each other in the home. We learn about relationships in the home. That God's authority has been ordained primarily to work in the home. And then the second structure is the government. That in Genesis chapter 9, that when God is recreating everything after the flood and structuring the way that society would work, he speaks about a government that governs people in a nation and in a land and that there are laws and that those people being appointed to such positions is not by happenstance, it's not by chance, but rather it is getting played out in the story of God's sovereignty. So it is the home, it is the government, and then lastly, it is the church. That in Acts chapter 2, that in Matthew chapter 16, that in the New Testament letters, we see Jesus have the audacity to say that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What he's saying is, is that he has given his church his authority to operate and to function. And so when you understand these sort of three areas and how God has instituted that, it's almost like we should approach Romans 13 with a series of questions. And that's what I want to do in our brief time together today is, is ask a question and then to answer it from the text. And so the first question is this, what is the purpose of government according to Scripture? You see, for us as Christians and here at Westside, my great desire as your pastor is that you would have what is called a biblical worldview. That when you encounter something in life, that your first thought is not, well, I wonder what Tucker Carlson says about this or, or whoever that news source is, right? But rather that you would go to the very word of God and to say, what has God said about this? And what we see is a number of things. What is the purpose of government according to Scripture? The first one is this, to preserve order. To preserve order. Look at what he says there in verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. So listen, one of the things that I love about Christianity and why I believe that um, it was convincing enough for me to give my life to it is that it answers questions that you have to have answers to. Example, what is wrong with the world? So, so if you are someone who discounts Christianity and does not believe in the ethics or the teachings of the Bible, you don't get to get off with just disagreeing. You also have to supply an answer to that worldview as well. And so what is wrong with the world? Why are things broken? Why is there sickness? Why is there this? Why does everything seem to not work in the way in which it was fashioned? And what Christians believe is this wasn't always the plan, but that everything was good. Hey, listen, be very weary of a worldview or a theology that starts with man's sinfulness. That's not where the Bible starts. 
The Bible starts with the goodness of God. And God said, and it was good. And God said, and it was good. It starts with the goodness of God. And then man, by his own choice, rather than worship God, desired to be God. And sin enters in and fractures everything. That is why society doesn't work the way in which it's supposed to work. That's why this week the news that we saw and conversations about elementary kids having to do active shooter drills. I mean, if there's ever proof of the brokenness of humanity. And, and here's something I would just submit to us. Humanity has tried with everything in us to resist God's way. What if just for a moment we submitted it and tried? What if we just submitted and tried? But primarily, first and foremost, it is to preserve order because of the brokenness of humanity. The second reason is this, is to protect citizens. So it promotes order, but it also protects citizens. Look at what it says there in verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. And you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God. <laughs> like Paul's just laying it out. He's like, hey, God has structured this to protect citizens and to preserve order. And then it's almost like he's anticipating an argument, like, well, do we need to be afraid? And it's like, well, why would you need to be afraid? Like, are you breaking the law? Well, n well n no. Well, then fine. Then, then you don't need to be afraid. Like, I'll never forget having a conversation with my dad when I didn't love Jesus and I was living a certain lifestyle in a certain way. And I tried to have this conversation with my dad and I tried to get at him. And I was like, protect and serve. Yeah, I've never had a police officer just out of his way, protect and serve me. And my dad looked me right in the eye and goes, because you're breaking the law. I was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you don't know, right? Like, what do you, yeah, he's protecting and serving other people because of you. You know what I mean? Like, this is the main role. And then the third thing is the most crucial. It's to promote righteousness by enforcing justice. That's what he says by, he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Verse 4, that it is to promote the righteousness and justice. Listen, God has instituted and structured that society should function in such a way that the government's authority is an extension of God's authority. And I know what your question is. So what do we do if that structure is not doing what it's supposed to do? if that structure is not holding up righteousness, but rather it is not doing justice. And every government, in every land, in every law has had that problem because everyone is a broken sinner in need of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So what do we do? Well, could I just submit this answer unto you? That God can use a sinful people to accomplish his saving purposes. That's literally the story of the Bible. That God still works through broken, sinful people to accomplish his great works. And so when it comes to the issue of authority or submitting to authority, first and foremost, we are not just submitting to the person that is in front of us. We are submitting to the God that is above us. That's what we are doing. That's what we are saying. The second question is this. How are Christians to respond to this government? How do we live in this world when we're not of this world? Like Jesus has this great tension. He says, Father, I pray for those that will believe in your name. 
I pray that you not take them out of the world, but that you preserve them in the world. So we are in the world, but we are not of it. That we are to have an ultimate allegiance to Jesus, but we are to live as good citizens. So how do we do that? Well, the first answer that he says is through submission. By submission. Look at what he says in verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Romans 13, 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Paul is saying the primary way that you do that is that you obey and that you submit yourself. But what is the definition of submission? Does it just mean blind, willful subjection to abuse or anything like that? Well, listen, what we're talking about is that when it comes to the issue of authority and submitting ourselves unto authority, some of us have certain personalities in the room, right? And when it comes to the issue of authority and submitting to that authority, your natural response is, eh -eh, right? Eh -eh. Just by a show of hands, raise your hand if you have an issue of authority. Yeah, see, you're not raising your hands. I told you to, right? I raise my hand. You can't don't, right? Right? So what, what is this tension? How does this work? I love um, Ray Pritchard's definition of submission. He says this. Submission means believing that God is able to accomplish his will in my life through those he has placed over me. That's good. That's parents that's your job, that God can, listen, what if, how would your life change rather than constantly critiquing your boss and the person that's above you, rather than doing that and constantly saying, I'm more qualified and I can do it better, and I mean, doesn't he know that my finals project was this and didn't even, what would it look like if you submitted yourself to that, not unto the person, but the God that is above that person? and say that God is actually working his will in my life through the person that he has placed over me. This begs another question. So does this just mean total subjection? Does this mean that if it's a tyrannical government and there's a dictator, that we're just supposed to blindly follow that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Here's the verse for you. It's Acts chapter 4, verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Do you know what's happening here? By the law and the government, they are telling them to no longer preach the name of Jesus Christ or there will be penalties incurred upon that. Judgment, punishment by death. And these men are standing before elected officials and they say, this is not even right to our conscience, but this goes against and supersedes the ultimate authority, which is God's authority. I love the way that Pastor Timothy Keller put it. He says this, if the state commands what God forbids, or if the state forbids what God commands, then civil disobedience is a Christian duty at that point. And I think that we are not too far removed from a prophet that walked amongst us. What does Christian civil disobedience look like? I mean, immediately I think of Dr. Martin Luther King marching for the rights of fellow humanity, that we are not a hundred years removed from sicking dogs on people because they were a different color. I mean, the, the, the asinine that that thought is, at that moment is when we stand up, when we stand up for the sanctity of human life because all people are created in the image and likeness of God. That yes, we do submit ourselves because we're not submitting just to that authority, but the authority that is over that authority primarily God. So it's submission, but then he says this, honor, honor. I mean, look at what he says there in verse seven, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes, right? Right? 
Taxes to whom taxes are owed. And in the Greek, that means pay your taxes. That's what that means, okay? Who are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. And then here it is. Honor to whom honor is owed. What does that look like? What does it practically look like to honor those who are in authority um, above us? Well, there's a whole string of scriptures that I could read to you. But here's two that I found particularly interesting. Um, Moses tells the people of Israel this in Exodus 22.8. Do not blaspheme God or curse the ruler of your people. Do you know who he's talking about? Being subject to Pharaoh and all of this? What Moses is saying is, when you are traveling and in these foreign lands, do not curse those rulers and mumble and complain, but rather be good citizens. Or how about this in Titus? Remind the people to be subject to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. Listen, how crazy would it look if Christians actually lived this way? What if we were not the ones leading charge and criticizing, whether it be the government or the authority that God has put? Do you know what? I've read all of Paul's letters I've read all of Paul's letters in the Bible, and I have never once seen the Apostle Paul use this phrase, not my emperor. Is that, are we too close? Is that, are we too close to home? I can keep going if that's fine, right? What would it look like rather than passing the meme on and sharing it? Like how much have you actually prayed by name for our president? This is the way that God works. And by the way, to sit in the chair of total authority is much too large for you. You know why? You can't even run your own life, much less the life of others. So what would it look like for us as Christians to not match the evil and match the venom that is spewed on social media and to carry on the jokes and to laugh, but rather honor, respect, and live Quietly, knowing that our citizenship does not lie here, but it lies with our king in heaven. Listen, here's the big idea. We honor God when we honor authority. That's what he's saying. That's what, that's what we teach our children. That's what God is saying is that we honor God by honoring authority. So what does that look like for us? As I knew that this series was coming... I was praying and just had an incredible, just believe a God thought in my mind. I, I really wanted us to practice what we preached in this honor series. And so I invited local law enforcement from Butler County to uh, the city of Popper Bluff to Missouri, uh, Missouri Highway Patrol. And I wanted to honor these men and to hear from these men um, what their job is like and to hear from them from the other side. So if you would, um, in, uh, encourage these guys as they come up to stage right now. Come on, gentlemen. Come on up here, guys. Thank you, John. Boy, I tell you what, if my mama could see me now. <laughs> hey, guys, let's start with just uh, simply introducing yourself, who you are, um, a little bit maybe about your family, how long you've been in law enforcement. So I'm Mark Dobbs, the sheriff of Butler County. I've been uh, in law enforcement uh, in a civilian capacity for about 29 years, and before that I was an MP in the uh, Army and the, in the National Guard. Wow. Awesome. I'm Matt Foster, uh, husband to Miranda, dad to Lucas in Georgia. Uh, started my career with the Missouri State Water Patrol. Uh, worked with them for five years. Uh, then the Highway Patrol Water Patrol had merged. I uh, worked the road in Stoddard County, Missouri as a road trooper for about five years. 
and then transferred to the Division of Drug and Crime Control where I'm a criminal investigator with the Highway Patrol. I've been doing that for six years now for a total of 16 years in law enforcement. Wow, incredible, incredible. My name is Sean Pringer, uh, my wife Veronica and my daughter Reese. I started my law enforcement career in Malden where I was a corporal. Um, I've been in law enforcement for 11 years now, currently work for Papa Bluff Police Department uh, as a radar instructor, patrolman, and a field training officer. Incredible. What I love about this is that these guys attend Westside. These are our very own people, man, so I'm super excited. Um, tell us just a little bit your faith journey, how you met Jesus, um, and, and what that looks like. So I didn't grow up in church. My, yeah. my parents were believers, but they didn't go to church regularly. So yeah. it kind of started out going to, to uh, being invited to this VBS and that one. But yeah. long about the fifth grade, of course, uh, most people in my family were good students. And then there was me. So <laughs> yeah. out of uh, concern for my grades, my mother did the, the best thing that she could have ever done for me. And that was she enrolled me in uh, Christian school down the road here. Wow. It used to be Assembly of God yeah. uh, for about a year. And uh, so that that's probably where I got most uh, in tune with my faith. And of course, we had to uh, you prayed about everything. When you got sent to the principal's office, you, you, had, you had to pray <laughs> yes. with the person. Yeah. So the fifth grade, I did the most praying I ever did in my life. But uh, yeah, that's, that's, that was kind of how it all started out. Incredible. Yeah. How about you, Matt? Uh, I grew up in church. Um, from the time I was born, I, I don't remember missing very many Sundays at all. If the doors were open on Wednesday night and Sunday morning, Sunday night, we were, we were always at church. Um, really don't have a time of when, you know, I can narrow it down um, just because I grew up in church my whole life. It's beautiful, dude. But listen, I always tell people, I want my kids to have that testimony. You know what I'm saying? It's some of us have a road to Damascus where God knocks us off our high horse. And then some of us have the road to Emmaus where they never really like at the end, they were like, was that Jesus? Like I think that's a beautiful testimony, man. How about you, Sean? I was raised Catholic. Um, I, before I was even could remember, was baptized. I yeah. went to church, went to Catholic school, went to church every Wednesday, every Sunday um, for the first part of my life. Um, when I was in my teenage years, high school, um, I kind of fell away from the church and fell away from God. I was hanging out with the wrong group of people, making poor decisions. Um, Fast forward to my mid-20s, um, it was kind of God shaking me mm. and gave me my daughter, mm. um, which changed my life. Yeah. Um, fast forward then, you know, further, get a degree, became a police officer, and then me and my wife talked about going back to church, and we had tried numerous churches. Uh, we went to Faith Church in St. Louis, yeah. um, tried a few churches here, and then my mother-in-law, Mary Brown, she, she came here one day, and then my wife said, hey, I want to check out this church. And so it was God's way of bringing wow. us back. And you, you probably don't remember this, but I came the first, the first uh, time we came here. And my wife's like, well, what would you think of it? And I said, it was okay. I, I said, I don't know that the message was for me. Yeah. But then the next day or a couple days later, you and Roman were in Hux. Yeah. And... I don't know if you were just because I was in uniform and it could have just been like, hey, to the police officer. But I thought that was God telling me that this wow. is where I belong. So wow, and, and here we are. That's incredible. Well, your family is a gift to our congregation. And praise God, I was nice to you and Hux. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about this? What what made you want to get into law enforcement? So probably uh, the, the main uh, things that persuaded me. My uh, uncle was a state trooper, my cousin was a trooper, and my dad was a deputy sheriff. Wow. So just kind of that background and, and uh, just, uh, I don't know, it, I think that all these guys will uh, concur that it's, it's, a, it's a calling from God, you yeah. know, that you, you think that it's uh, something that you can help uh, the world be a better place and, and help people in need, help people that are uh, not sometimes not strong enough to stand up for themselves, and mm. uh, so so that's kind of how it all started with me. Wow, that's beautiful. How about you, Matt? Uh, kind of like 
Marcus said, it, it was a calling for me at a, at a young age. I worked as a dock hand at a marina. Um, and so I would see the water patrol guys come in. I would gas up their boats. I would get to talk to them. And I really looked up to those guys. And thought, How cool. That's something that I want to do one day. And so turned 20 years old and started applying for the academy. And I guess Beautiful. 16 years later, I'm sitting up here. There you go. I love it. I love it. How about you, Sean? I think Mark hit the nail on the head with the calling from God. I, I don't know that in my earlier days, I know as a teenager, I didn't like the cops when a cop got behind me yeah that means i was getting a ticket sure you know and uh i was it was probably i just graduated college and a buddy of mine i was talking to and he said hey i'm applying for the academy um and all the all the pieces of the puzzle just fit together i think god put me in this position because that's where he wanted me yeah um and here we are today that's beautiful. And just to confirm that in the verses that we just read, that's absolutely right, that, that God has called you guys for such a time as this in the positions that you're in. I mean, the words of, you know, a minister of justice, those are words that God has used to describe what your positions are. So amen to that. Absolutely. What do you love most about your job? I mean, it's there's a lot going on, but what is the the thing that's the fuel that keeps the passion going? What do you love most about it? Probably what I have always enjoyed the most and still enjoy is just helping people. Yeah. Helping people, whether it be someone who's not strong enough to protect themselves, whether it be um, somebody in need, whether it be a, a, a kid, you know, in a, yeah. in, a, in a house on fire, whatever. Sure. Um, there's just a multitude of things to enjoy in police works. There's there's good and there's bad, but the things I enjoy the most definitely, and I'm sure these guys will say the same thing, is just helping those who can't help themselves all the time. Wow, that's good, man. That's really good. Yeah, once again, absolutely. Um, helping people that can't help themselves and working homicides, I think one of the things that keeps me going is being able to be a voice for the victims that can't speak anymore. Mm. Um, and tell them their story. Yeah. Yeah, like they said, helping others. Um, but one of the, I still remember one of the questions that they asked me in one of my interviews was, what's more, what's more exciting, uh, getting into a vehicle pursuit or finding a kid's bike that was stolen from them? And that bike is probably so important to that child. And, and you know, seeing kids out there helping them, giving, giving a little kid a fist bump that, might not know police officers or family doesn't like police officers or helping an elderly person or, or somebody that can't help themselves. So yeah. just to. That's beautiful. And one of the things that we see all through the scripture, it's the church's job, but it is to give a voice to the voiceless, like what you were saying, the marginalized, whether it be widows, orphans, or anything like that, that God always sides with those who don't have a voice. That's where his heart is at. And so I'm so thankful that he's instituted you guys to give people a voice. One question I wanted to ask is this. In light of just everything going on in the world and the state of things, we hear a lot from social media to the news to this, that, and the other. But I don't want to waste this opportunity to hear directly from you guys who are involved what is one thing that you would want the public to know uh, just about everything that's going on, tensions, all of that? What is one thing that you just wish, man, if I could get on a megaphone and let people know this, it would be this. What is that? Your message earlier today was uh, right on point about the fact that uh, we put on these uh, shiny uniforms and, and uh, try to look our best and, and try to put on our, our, our best face and always try to be the tough guy. But we're just people mm. and we're fallible people, just like anybody, anyone else. Yeah. Um, and the sad thing is that uh, this day and time, oftentimes if one person, one officer somewhere uh, steps across the line, uh, society and then especially those in the news media are quick to want to paint that brush that broad with that broad brush and try to illustrate that uh, we're all that way when yeah. it's not the case and uh, you know I don't know any police officers I've met hundreds maybe thousands who aren't uh, consumed with helping people they don't want to hurt people the last thing we ever want to do 
the very last thing we ever want to do is have to shoot somebody or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's a horrific thing. Been through that with my officers several times, and it's, it's just horrific for everybody. Yeah. But we are here. Uh, we're fallible people. We're human just like anybody else. Uh, any other Sunday, we'd be sitting back there in the, in the pews and in our regular clothes. And uh, uh, so that's, that's who we are. Yeah. We have families. We have goals. We have dreams just like anybody else. And yeah. we're just here to help. We that's do good. everything we can. We risk our lives for people. And uh, that, that's what it's about for us. That's good. I heard an officer say one time that every time that he would put on his uniform, there was a little bit of fear because he felt like when people saw him in that uniform that he was no longer a person anymore in light of that. That's huge, man. How about you, Matt? Yeah, I, once again, I agree with what yeah. Mark had said. Um, and to add what you had said, it's been six years since I put this uniform on. Um, and even today, driving to church, when people would pass by us, I was like, man, it kind of made me a little nervous because I wasn't, I mean, it's been six years since I've had to wear a uniform and watch somebody drive by me and yeah. wonder, am I, am I going to get shot? Now I've got my family in the vehicle, you know, wow. things like that go through my head too. And yeah. I'm sure these guys too, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things that like Mark had also said, we're human. Yeah. I look forward at the end of my shift, going home, seeing Miranda playing with the kids. Um, that's it. Amen. We're, just, we're that's human. Beautiful. That's good. Sean? It's been, a, it's been a couple tough years for law enforcement, um, especially on social media, like you had said. Sure. And what I like to call uh, keyboard warriors. Yeah. Um, but I, I would just say that we, we do an impossible job, um, and we're doing our best. Um, and we would, we would keep fighting for everybody. I think, I think all these guys, I could speak for everybody saying that. Um, and I lost my track of thought. You're good. You came prepared. I love it. I love it. I thought you were taking notes of my sermon. <laughs> While he's taking a break there, I will tell you not everybody says thank you for a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> they got good. something to say, but it's not That's always good. thinking. That's good. That's really good. <laughs> now, what I was going to say, uh, you know, we, we do an impossible job um, at times. There's, there's usually a couple people in every instance, and one person usually doesn't want us to be there. Yeah. It's just the nature of it. Um, and we often have to make split-second decisions in, in a moment's notice. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we are human sometimes, yes. you know, we make mistakes just like everybody else. So yeah. it makes it difficult. Yeah. You guys are human. And I, I just hear that reverberated. And what I hear is you deserve the same grace that everybody else demands and everything. Of course, there's more responsibilities and, and this, that, and the other, but yeah. Last question is this, and, and I think it's one of the most important ones is how does your faith and relationship with Jesus play a role? in your job and, and in your career of law enforcement? Well, it's very important. I couldn't imagine not having Jesus in your life and not doing this job. Um, just this morning, me and Matt had to say a big prayer just to get into these uniforms. And it worked out, <laughs> worked out pretty good. Because uh, I'm like him. I'm not in this uniform every day. So yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, you, you know, you go to dangerous situations all the time, and, and, and you do it without hesitation. And you say a lot of prayers, and you want to make sure that you uh, stay right with the Lord yeah. um, in all times, in all circumstances, because you never know uh, when or if you're coming home that night. Yeah, well. Uh, for me, my faith in Jesus is everything, um, from getting up and going to work in the morning to the things that I have to see and deal with on a daily, daily basis. Um, it, it's it's everything. I mean, I don't. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it's got to be the framework in which that you view the world. It was kind of like what I was saying. If, if you reject a certain framework, then you also need to provide an answer. And I just, I don't know of any other compelling answer than, than Christ in that sense. Sean, how about you, man, your faith in Christ? It is everything. Um, like I said, we do a dangerous job. I don't, 
I don't. Uh, I know. I know the Lord's got my back. I know that He'll keep me safe. Yeah. Um, my my daughter tells me every day when I go to work that she loves me at Google and to be safe yeah. every every day. And uh, I don't. I don't worry about not coming back. I know. Mm. I know the Lord will protect me. I know that He'll give me strength when I need it. Yeah. He'll He'll let me be compassionate when I need to be, aggressive when I need to be. Yeah. And that He'll be there. Amen. Well, I think on behalf of everybody that in situations when everybody else is running from something, you are the guys that run in. And the, just the fact of hearing you guys say that when you go to work, it is a thought that is there of what does this shift hold and do I come home different? Do I come home at all in that sense? And so I think on behalf of Westside and the community of Popper Bluff, we, we love you guys and, and we pray for you. We are so thankful to know you as people and as individuals. And one thing that we want to do is we've got a gift for you guys. We want you to take your family out of a great steak dinner and just enjoy a peaceful time together um, on us as a church. And so we want to do that for you guys. But I think more than anything, we would love to pray for you. And so if you guys could come right down here, if I could have my board members and any congregant and anybody that feels comfortable would love to come up. Uh, we want to lay hands on these guys. Just come right down here, fellas. This is on behalf of Westside and just a grateful community. We love you guys. We honor you. And we do what Romans 13 says. And, and we give you honor. So come on up here, guys. Come on up here. Lay hands on. If you're there in the pew, just stretch out your hand this direction in a sign of faith and in agreement for one another as we pray for these men. Stretch out your hand. Heavenly Father God, we come before you right now. So grateful for Sean, for Mark, and for Matt. God, first and foremost, these are men created in your image and likeness. They are men who have been redeemed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have seen the saving faith that is the cross. And we praise you and we thank you for that. God, we pray for their families. We pray that you would give them peace, that you would give them comfort, that in this moment, right now, that they would see a community and a church that stands behind their husbands, their dads, and what they do in support of them. God, they sit at home at night and sometimes wait for a phone call and wait for a check-in. God, we thank you for their sacrifice. We thank you for their children. And God, we pray for a protection that is supernatural for these men in the jobs that they do. As they run into a place that everyone is running out of, may you give them a boldness and a courage that only comes from the Spirit of God. God, I pray that you would give them soft and compassionate hearts hearts that would be a voice for the voiceless. God, I pray that you would give them clear judgment in their minds that when they have to make quick decisions that involve a plethora of people and have great effects upon lives, that you would give them wisdom and clarity beyond what their human capabilities are. God, we pray that your spirit would clothe them and drape them in righteousness as what we have heard that these are ministers of your justice to protect order and to promote righteousness and peace. And God, as they live every day in sacrifice, may our hearts be stirred and reminded that that sacrifice is but a foreshadow of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God, this congregation and these people honor these men today as representations of your authority, of your great authority, Jesus. And we give them honor and we give them praise. And we pray this in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Can you guys give them a round of applause this morning, please? Thank you. Thank you.